Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Last hour, we were talking about blocking out the sun because it's trying to kill us. And Robert says, if I remember correctly, in the 70s, we were going to have a new ice age because pollution was blocking the sun. Leonard Nimoy even had a documentary about it. I don't think they thought out this blocking the sun plan too well. No, definitely not. Uh, They definitely have not thought out the plan. Although they do recognize it could lead to complete and utter global devastation. Uh, They don't exactly detail what the devastation would be. Almost, almost as big of a news. Big of a news? Did I just say that? Big, almost as newsworthy, shall we say. Um, The USDA gives an okay to the sale of lab-grown meat to the public. Lab meat, up to 25 times worse for the environment than real beef. (laughs) But, you know, reasons. Despite the potential, well, because they're cute animals. We don't want to eat cute animals. And you know, like I have said this for years, The line is drawn, I think, on cuteness. That's that's where people are like, no, we shouldn't eat those animals because they're too cute. Because think about it. The same people who are telling us not to eat all of the animals, they're like, you should eat bugs instead. Well, why? Why bugs? Oh, because the bugs aren't cute. Exactly. They're not cute. And don't come at me, bug people, with like, Oh, no, this is such a cute little bug. No, they're, no, all bugs are just gross looking. We got something out in our uh, neighborhood now. There have been a couple people that have pasted on the, uh, uh, paste, they've posted on the, uh, sorry, I'm running on like five hours of sleep here today. So if I mangle a couple words, I think that's what it's due to. So the uh, they've posted these pictures. They look like, somebody said they're some kind of a beetle, but they have got these like, like tubular antennas that are thick. They look like tubes that come off from the, from like the foreheads, like at, 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 at angles away from its head. And they're like long. And then they got all the big legs and they're black and they got this big body and they look terrifying. I don't know what they are. Anyway, despite the potential, but ugly, that's the point. Ugly and cute animals. We don't eat, right? Generally. I mean, we will if we have to, right? Rabbits, for example, they're adorable. But there are a lot of them, and if we're hungry enough, we'll eat them, right? And if you go to a rich enough, fancy enough restaurant, they'll serve rabbit too. And I think it has to do with the eyebrows. I think that's what it comes down to, right? I think if you're an animal and you got eyebrows, you're already ahead of the game. Because eyebrows indicate expression, and we look at an animal with eyebrows, and we see something of ourselves in the animal. And even though the animal has no real control, it's not doing. I mean, sometimes. I mean, okay, dogs are they're, they're they are above all because they do actually manipulate their eyebrows. They learn that stuff based on 
facial expressions. But think about it. People are like, dogs are so much cuter than cats. Why? Because cats don't have eyebrows. I'd recommend we eat hippos. I think we go to the old plan from like the 1920s or whenever it was when they had these big congressional hearings and they were like, we're going to import a bunch of hippos. Americans aren't getting enough protein and we need, we need to start, you know, raising some protein sources and we can go over, we can like hippo nap some of these hippos from Africa and we just bring them over and where are you going to put them? Obviously Florida, right? So you stick them down in Florida and they were going to like start hippo farming. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, aha, that's hilarious. It's true, though. They were going to do it. And then it was like the Depression hit or World War II. I forget what the timing of it was, but they abandoned it. And then the the cattle industry took off. And that's how people got their protein source. But they were seriously like this was a plan, a serious plan underway to bring hippos to America to farm them for food. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. They're, you see the size of those things? They're really fat. No, I don't know. I think that's. I think they're dense. I think that's muscle. I think you could, I mean, think about all of the people you could feed with one hippo. Plus, they roll over on their own babies. Like, that, that's not cool. Anyway, the, uh, the lab, the USDA, has approved this lab-grown meat. Despite the potential environmental impacts and lack of current technology to safely upscale production to meet current consumer needs, the U.S. Department of Agriculture approved its sale to the public, clearing the way for two California companies to sell chicken produced from animal cells. Wait a minute. I thought that's why you guys were all about the humane treatment because of the animal cells. You were like, no, cage-free. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, they're talking like molecular. Okay, that makes more sense. It will likely be years before shoppers can buy lab-produced meat in grocery stores. They're doing this in California. I can only imagine the price of this stuff by the time it finally gets to market. Supporters of alternative proteins, along with the companies that sought federal approval, Upside Foods is one of them, and Good Meat They celebrated the news. Well, of course they did, because it's going to make them a lot of money, right? They're on the cutting edge of this stuff. They're like, yes, this is a race now. We are witnessing the beginning, the birth of a race between big lab meat and big bug, right? They're both trying to get us to eat different stuff. So no more... No more eating all of the mashed up entrails and organs in that hot dog for July 4th. No, no. It's lab meat or bugs. I would not eat it. That's me. I'm not even sure I would try it. I might try it. Uh, But no promises. I don't know. I'd have to see the texture of the thing first. Even then, I don't know if I could get around my head. I I don't know. Like, I, I would not be able to, like wrap my brain around it and it would just stick in my head that I was eating. But then again, you eat other stuff that's, that's produced in labs, I guess, you know, pop tarts, whatever. So, uh, Wednesday, the U S department of agriculture gave the green light for two companies to sell their cultivated lab grown chicken poultry, by the way, is the number one agricultural industry here in North Carolina. Dr. Michael Walden, is a 
Uh, he is the NC State Reynolds Distinguished Professor Emeritus. And he said, quote, this could be a big threat to North Carolina's poultry industry. Uh, it's a multi-billion dollar industry here. It's one of the industries that's really saved North Carolina agriculture as the agriculture moved away from tobacco. I think the main concern of buyers will be, does it taste good? Is it healthy? And what's the cost? So, in other words, all of the things that <laughs> dictate whether somebody buys something or not. Does it taste good? Like, could, could you see a day where, like, first off, I don't think they should be allowed to call it chicken. They're going to have to cut, like, I, I know that they got their uh, company name, um, was it Good Meat and Upside Foods? Fine. But I don't think you should be allowed to call it chicken. Just like the whole almond milk thing, you know, that's not milk. Right. Nobody's out there milking the almonds every morning. That's not happening. So, no, it's not milk. Milk is a dairy product from the cow. That's the milk. Also, breast milk from humans. That's milk. Almonds do not lactate. Okay, so they lost that thing. They got to come up with like, uh, you know, almond beverage or whatever. This should be the same thing. You don't get to you don't get to call yourself chicken. See, this is why the whole trans thing matters so much, (laughs) because truth matters. These words have meaning. You can't just start feeding me some lab-grown something or other telling me it's chicken, and it's not chicken. It was grown in the lab from animal cells from a chicken, but that's not a chicken. Those are something else. Maybe like faux chicken or faux... No, don't say that word. Maybe, Maybe like trans chicken. I'm just thinking through out loud here. These are terrible ideas. Speaking of terrible ideas, have you seen the pictures uh, over the weekend from all of the grocery stores and beer cases at uh, convenience stores from uh, Bud Light? (laughs) So Bud Light on Twitter, every single post they make gets ratioed. You know what that means? In Twitter world, you've got likes, right? Where you hit your little heart, you tap the little heart button that you like something. You can retweet it. Or you can reply to it. And so a ratio occurs when the replies outnumber the likes, okay, the hearts. Because it it tells you that people are responding to the original post rather than simply liking it. And all of their tweets get ratioed, every one of them. Because whenever they post anything, people are just beating the tar out of them. And the same thing happened this weekend. People were posting pictures of all of these uh, beer cases and all the stores, and all the beer is gone except the Bud Light. And in my view, it's not even really about the tr- – it's not about Dylan Mulvaney, the transgender influencer that they made six cans for and gave away as a promotion to that one individual. It wasn't even about that. To me, this was about – what the CEO of the branding, the marketing, the whatever president of marketing, what she said about their customers. She insulted the customers, called them fratty, right? This bro culture, and then and that we're, we got to move away from that. Okay. Bye. Message received. Uh, I just, I broke down. I just paid for the Twitter blue. I did it. Um, 
Michael thought maybe the Russians hacked my show. He says that fake meat stuff is not going to make it here in the South unless you can grill it, smoke it, or deep fry it. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. Or pickle it, right? You could pickle it. (laughs) Something about a lab-grown meat product in a jar, like suspended in fluid in a jar, that's just a little too on the nose, don't you think? Right? Like, here, have some of my lab-grown meat. And it looks like something in Dr. Frankenstein's lab. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good, thanks. So, yeah, maybe, maybe no pickling. Um, deep frying, definitely. Can you bread it and deep fry it? That's going to be key. Going to be key. Um, Bud Light. It isn't every day that you see right-wing Americans wildly celebrating the fact that a Mexican brand is now the best-selling beer in the U.S., but that is exactly what we saw the other day when the market research company Nielsen IQ announced that Modelo Especial had dethroned Bud Light at the top of the beer sales charts. Naturally, MAGA fans had not discovered the virtues of globalization. Instead, they were gleeful at the success of their Bud Light boycott. By the way, flying in the face of the the request from their leader, Donald Trump, not to not to do the boycotting of the Bud Light. The boycott began in early April. Oh, by the way, I just saw it today. The former CEO of Budweiser, I want to say, came out and said that the new ones need to quit. They need to be fired. Like, the utter collapse of the brand. Their response has been awful. It's just been misstep after misstep after misstep. Um. The boycott began in early April in response to the brand's partnership with the trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Conservative influencers ginned up consumer anger among their followers. Again, it wasn't specific. If it was only the Dylan Mulvaney um, six pack that was sent to the influencer and he made the video sitting in the bathtub acting like this, you know, crazy over the top 14 year old girl just in woman face like. That in and of itself is not, I, I don't think, would have, would have destroyed the brand like this has. It was when we saw that, I'm saying we, I, I don't drink Bud Light, but when you, when, I mean, I have, I got nothing against Bud Light, you know, working outside, hot day, it's fine. But um, the, the influencer six-pack along with the podcast video that surfaces shortly thereafter of their marketing director saying, we got to move away from the fratty uh, bro culture that surrounds this brand. We got to freshen up the brand. And what she is saying is that we don't want you drinking our beer. We don't like you. We think you're frat boys, bro culture. We look down upon you. And when you drink Bud Light, you're drinking a brand and usually you're advertising the brand as you're drinking it, right? Because you're holding the can. And now you've created this negative stigma around this can. People don't want to be associated with the can because you've insulted them. But then you also had, you know, Kid Rock um, and uh, uh, Trey Waynes, a former NFL player who took out the guns and shot up stacks of the beer. And not drinking Bud Light became a litmus test of commitment to traditional values. 
and it worked. Bud Light sales plummeted by more than 20% by the end of April, and that drop has not reversed. Bud Light's revenue is down nearly a quarter on the year, even as competitors like Coors and Miller Lite had seen theirs increase by double digits. And here's the thing. Even if these drinkers come back to Bud Light, even if they come back, they're not going to come back and make up the losses. These losses cannot be overcome. I, I, mean, I don't see how. You would have to get people to drink more Bud Light. You'd have to not just win back all of the people that used to drink Bud Light. You'd have to, you'd have to like double the amount in order to make up what you've lost. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Alrighty, so uh, two different 4th of July fireworks stories here. Um, The first, so the U.S. National Whitewater Center (laughs) for some reason got cited for safety concerns. And the Mecklenburg County Fire Marshal then, along with the police, canceled the annual fireworks shows for tonight and tomorrow. The officials announced the can- uh, for the Whitewater Center announced the cancellations on Facebook and the center website late Friday without explaining why. And said all other July 3rd and 4th activities are still on, including the races, the live music and the yoga. Thank God. Chief Fire Marshal. No, no. Ted Panagiotopoulos. 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 Fire Marshal Ted revoked the permit for the displays due to crowd and traffic concerns, according to the Charlotte Observer's news partner, WSOC. The revocation followed concerns raised by Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Chief Johnny Jennings about the large crowds drawn to the event. See, well, they don't ever come out. The Observer doesn't ever come out and explain exactly what the safety concerns are. Just that there were security, they were concerned about security staffing during the fireworks displays and a possible need to call in help from outside law enforcement agencies. Now, I have a little bit of knowledge about some other event, and it had to hire CMPD to to work security at this event, and the price was too high, and so the event had to move. And I wonder if there's a little something, something like that going on here, where... They're like, look, you're going to have, you know, 10,000 people there. And, you know, maybe this is a capacity thing, too, because, like, that's what the fire marshal does. Like, if there's a fire, you can't get this many people off the premises, right? You can't get them to safety. Although I would point out, uh, hello, big freaking river right here, right? You just, everybody jump in the river. If there's a big fire, just jump in the river. And then it, it, it it's like a, 
it's, it's the fake whitewater thing. So you just keep it at a low and everybody jumps in and then you just float down the river and you end up in the pool. And then everyone's safe from the fire. Anyway, maybe, I don't know. May, do they judge the capacity at the whitewater center based on the number of people that can fit in the river and the pool? In case of an emergency, everybody piles in the pool, but if you pack too many people at the site, they can't all fit in the water. Maybe that's the deal. You could go up on the zip line. No, that's a bad idea. Never mind. So I, they never explain what the safety or traffic or crowd concerns, quote unquote, are. Was it them saying, look, you would need, you know, one, one CMPD per 1,000 people. And you're going to have 10,000 people there, so you got to have 10 CMPD officers. And the cost of that is going to be like 10 grand or something, or 20, 30 grand. And they're like, can't pay it. So, all right, well, then you can't open. Is that what it was? They don't say. Meanwhile, over at Carowinds, I have a theory. I have a theory. Because today was the story about the, the crack that some people walking around in the parking lot apparently saw on one of the big roller coasters. And then they, they, they informed Carowinds, and so they shut the, the roller coaster down, which, of course, they should, right? But there was some crack, and you kind of wonder, wow, like how many people could have like gone flying off of the roller coaster into the parking lot? But nobody did, so that's good news. But here's my theory. I think, I think you guys are blowing up too much dynamite near your roller coasters. I don't know this to be true. I'm just saying you did, you're doing 50 nights of fireworks. And if you've ever seen the Carowinds fireworks show, it's impressive. It's a, they blow up a lot of TNT. Okay. They blow up a lot. I mean, they don't blow up, I think as much as sky show does, but they blow up a lot. And so they're celebrating their 50th anniversary. And so they're celebrating by blowing up fireworks, 50 straight nights. There are 50 nights of fire. I get it. Good branding. 50th anniversary, 50 nights of fire. They started it on June 17th. So they still have over two weeks left to go. And people live over there. Right? I used to be able to see in my old house down in the Steel Creek neighborhood. We used to be able to see the fireworks show from, uh, from our uh, driveway. And then some trees got too big. So we like, we're going to go cut them down, but then we just moved. Um, they weren't even our trees, which posed one of the problems with the plan. But um, but we could see the fireworks show. I can't imagine people who live right next door to it. And then there, BTV does this story. People living nearby the park, like Bailey Dunmire, expressed their concerns about the nightly fireworks show, how it will imp- yeah, how it impacts pets, children, and possibly people with PTSD. Which these are always the arguments you hear about. Hey, don't. You know, don't be blowing up any fireworks on July 4th or New Year's Eve for yourself. Uh, Just go to one of the shows because you got all of these people that and dogs and cats that freak out about it. And um, but here's one little just nitpicky thing here about the story is that uh, they said people living nearby the park. They interviewed one person. And then I guess they just assumed that this person's concerns were shared by others when this person is probably the one who complained and, you know, to WBTV. And that's why they went out and talked to her. Um, she lives roughly three miles away from the park and says the fireworks each night disturbs her neighborhood. Quote, it kind of just resembles like a war zone almost on some level, and it's just earth-shattering, and it happens right when I fall asleep usually. It actually bothers me. I mean, it actually shakes the house. I believe it. 
Again, I've seen the fireworks show. Carowinds officials say the show will start at 10 p.m. and last for seven minutes each night. So for so for 50 straight days, if you were going to bed at 9 a.m. because you got to get up at four or five, sorry, you're gonna be wake you're gonna be waking up at 10 o'clock for a seven minute fireworks extravaganza, and you're you're just gonna have to keep medicating the dogs. Uh, their their official statement was that we understand and appreciate the concerns expressed by some guests regarding the potential impact of the 50 Nights of Fire event on families, pets, and veterans. Carowinds places great emphasis on providing comprehensive information and updates about the event across all the social media platforms. Um, the show commences at, at 10, last seven minutes and two seconds, featuring a display um, in coordination with 180 drones. We're fully committed to addressing these concerns. We've obtained the necessary permits. Like, in other words, they're, they're not changing anything here. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so we'll take it under advisement. That's the equivalent of that. So just a heads up, if you are thinking about moving somewhere near Carowinds, uh, God only knows what's going to happen for their 100th anniversary. Yeah. It's going to be loud. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? So I got a couple of messages here to get to before I... Uh, get to America's eternal mission. Vicky says, Pete, there was an article in the Guardian newspaper about the 1776 development today. Oh, I'll have to look for that. Thank you. Um, regarding Bud Light, folks finally had an excuse to stop drinking crappy beer. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I did hear this also, Bob, that uh, was it uh, Lance is closing one of their plants laying off 125 workers in Charlotte. Um, Jay says Modelo, which is now the number one beer in America, is owned by Ambev, Imbev, Ambev as well, which I, I uh, was aware of that also. And the reason why that became number one, is not that the, it's not that the Bud Light drinkers all s- switched to Modelo. It was that Modelo was already a very popular beer among the Hispanic population in America. And so when... Bud Light, and Bud Light was number one, but it was only like an 18% market share, right? This is what they're fighting over. And so when the Bud Light uh, boycott starts and all of those drinkers go and they disperse through other brands, now Modelo is the number one. Probably will be forever. Um, Right, because Corona's trash. Um, So let's see. I've got the, oh, Joseph's got the perfect name for the lab-created Frankenfood chicken. Full tree. F-A-U-X-L-T-R-Y. Faux tree. Chickens would kill and eat us if they could, so I have no issue eating them. I see it as mutual combat. I agree. They're omnivores, man. They will eat anything. And they'll henpeck you to death. That's what I hear. Well, at least the hens will. 
Um, Pete, here are a few suggestions on what to call lab-grown meats. This is from Lance. Soylent chicken. <laughs> lab slab. <laughs> uh, synthetic chicken or synthesized beef or extracted chicken. Oh, what was the one they used with the pink slime? Extrusion? Isn't that what they called it? Like an extruded product or something, which is like, I don't know how you make something sound worse than pink slime, but kudos. Mission accomplished. Extruded. Whatever. All right. uh, Over at National Review, Scott Howard had a piece called America's Eternal Mission. Depending on who you ask, the fireworks have largely already happened, uh, except for obviously Sky Show. Um, For the average observer, July 4th is yet to come. Hamburgers, gunpowder, and as many we're the best moments as we can muster await us come Tuesday. The celebration of our founding moment is our greatest tradition. 247 years ago, 56 men put their name to paper in defense of their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and in doing so, they charted a course unparalleled in the course of human events. They drew upon a civilizational tradition that began thousands of years before a single Englishman had set foot in the New World. There is an essay written in 1968 by a fellow named Frank Meyer. It was called Western Civilization, the Problem of Political Freedom. And in this essay, Frank Meyer articulates what uh, Scott Howard calls a beautiful sentiment, which is that the, the West's origins, the genesis was in ancient Greece and Israel. In contrast to the cosmological civilizations that preceded them, the ancient Greeks and the Israelites grasped a truth about the human condition that had eluded their predecessors. This truth was the recognition that man has always been part animal, part spiritual. As Aristotle long ago laid out part animal part spiritual we have a a foot in two worlds you know it allowed man to see that he is in this world but not of it and in realizing this he is faced with the responsibility of choosing virtue for himself i actually heard the other day that it's always easier for elected leaders to uh to appeal to our vices rather than our virtue. It's an easier sell, right? Anger, agitation, right? Not the better angels. But this is at the core of it. We have this choice. We have this responsibility of choosing virtue because that's the way this whole society works. Trust. Further along in the essay, Meyer uh, addresses the problem of utopian thinking He says, because we're animals, we're flawed creatures, we're faced with this uh, cosmic truth, rather. Pulled towards establishing the transcendence that we see here on Earth. Our cosmological roots gnaw at us. So we have this desire for heaven on Earth. And that desire draws a thread through the history of Western civilization in Europe from the Holy Roman Empire up to the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. He says, living with the knowledge that man is torn between the material and the transcendent is no small task. Just living with this knowledge, right? 
That's the, like, what is life? What's the meaning of life? Right? These ideas. This is what is. This is what they represent. This this wrestling. And so it's no small task that we are living with this knowledge, being torn between the material and the transcendent. Establishing a government that recognizes that tension is nearly impossible. America's greatness derives from that foundational truth. She stands alone in history for being born of an idea and forged by a people who embraced this eternal mission with open arms. And for 247 years, it has made us great. The struggle to maintain what makes us great continues. So tomorrow, the Declaration of Independence, actually, I thought it was written like on the 2nd and then, or signed on the 2nd, and then like news broke on the 4th, I forget. But um, it's, it's, tomorrow is the day we celebrate. And there are five sections of it. The first is sort of a matter, it just states as a matter of natural law, people can assume independence that's based on a reasonableness standard, right? Is your natural law connection. Then there's the preamble, which lays out the ideas and the ideals of the declaration. Like you have a right of revolution. If the government violates the rights of the people, the people have a right to alter or abolish that government. The third section then has the list of grievances, the list of charges against King George III. All the ways he has violated the colonists' rights and such. Which, by the way, one of them was, you know, the colonies needed the king's approval for any kind of law they wanted to pass. And so some of them wanted to abolish slavery. It wasn't allowed. The fourth section is like this disappointment in, um, in the failed efforts to try to convince the king to relax some of the policies, but he wouldn't do it. And then the fifth is the final where they're like, okay, these are the conditions, they exist. And uh, if we, the people living under these conditions... Uh, find them to be intolerable, we must change the government. And the British produced these conditions, and so we have really no choice but to sever our political ties. In short, dear Britain, we don't love you no more. That's it. It's not you. It's us. But it's really you. Up next, it's the anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. We'll be joined by a historian... Walk us through some of the details of that day up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.